return of the midweeks. Hello, friends. We're going to rock the midweeks again. This one's going to be a big one. We're going to tackle two whole chapters of First Samuel today as the Ark of the Covenant goes on its world tour. Well, it's not really world tour. It's just going through the land of the Philistines, but it's uh, kind of a funny story and a great adventure with something for us to learn about the Lord. Remember, we're talking about how 1 Samuel tells us the story of the formation of the kingdom of Israel. Beforehand, it was led by the prophet Moses and then by judges amongst tribes. And now we're actually moving into an established kingship. And one of the things that makes a kingship is that there's, um, you know, kings handing down the rule of the kingship to sons. Before, it was just whoever God raised up would be the leader. Now there's going to be descendants of the king. And... We're also studying faith and unbelief in the characters in the book and also learning about how God deals with the world. And I've been saying that the big theme of this book is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we're going to see that happen even with unbelievers, even with the pagans, even with the Philistines, the mortal enemies of Israel, how God deals with them on this same principle of honoring their faith, opposing their pride, and giving grace to the humble. So I'm going to read, make comments, and away we go. When the Philistines, this is chapter 5, captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So this is one of their chief gods. They probably had multiple gods, but this is probably one of their chief gods. And I've heard that the god Dagon is a type of like fish god because the Philistines were seafaring people. And so they put it in their temple and it's like a war trophy. It's like these are the gods that Dagon has conquered it be and there is it a symbol that they're there to serve him or that they're lower than him that the god of israel's been brought into their pantheon but dagon's still the the really big powerful one and this is a sign that they've conquered these other gods and made these gods serve their great god who knows probably something like that when the people of ashdod rose early the next day behold dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the lord so they took dagon and put him in his place But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the household of Dagon, on the threshold, excuse me, of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Okay, so they brought the ark into the temple as a sign of having conquered the God of Israel. And what they find out is that after the first night, their their idol of their God is then bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant. So he's doing obeisance. He's showing <laughs> worship towards the Ark, which is really funny. And then they put him up, you know, just not really thinking this through. They put their God back in his place, not thinking, oh, if the Ark of the Covenant can make our idol bow down to it, maybe we should switch our faith. And instead, they put him back in his place. And then the next day, they come back and Dagon's got his head and his hands cut off. The head being the symbol of authority, the hands being the symbol of power. So here is this broken idol. Um bowing down to the true God who isn't an idol and the ark isn't an idol but it is a symbol of God's covenant presence on the earth remember the the ten commandments were put inside of the ark of the covenant covenant um, symbolizing God's uh, promises to dwell with Israel and now the ark is all gone um, out of Israel but obviously displaying that God is powerful outside the border of Israel and so this is part of There's multiple things going on here. 
God is proving that he's God over everything. Usually back then, people would think there's a God over this place, and a God over this place, a God over these people, and a God over those people. But God is proving that he's God everywhere he goes. He's also proving he doesn't need Israel. Most people would think maybe God gives us victory in battle, but we are doing the fighting still. God's just help us. But God is proving that he is powerful even without any help because he's the God of the universe. And he's the God over all the other so-called gods. He makes them bow down to him. So he's proving his universal power throughout the world. And so he hasn't forgot his his glory. He hasn't forgot his reputation outside of Israel. The whole point of Israel is to make the God of Israel famous, to make Yahweh famous throughout the nation so that they would come and worship him. And now God is outside of Israel, but he is still alive and powerful and proving it by by making Dagon worship him and even breaking him for, for um, the second time he gets put up. And so you can ask the question, proud or humble. When the Philistines brought the ark into the temple of Dagon, were they being proud or humble? Yeah, they were being proud. They were boasting. And so God is opposing them in their pride. But we're going to see what he does when they start to show some humility. Verse 6, and the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. So there'd be a main city of Ashdod, and there'd be like a surrounding area, a rural municipality, so to speak, surrounding Ashdod, and that's what it's talking about. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So what kind of God is it that gets overcome by another God? They're not thinking this through. But there we go. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistine and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And the answer, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the, the God of Israel there. So I'm not sure what they're thinking, why a change of location would save it. Maybe because he's beat up Dagon enough, he can go beat up somebody else. But they think that geography is the issue here. And if they bring the ark somewhere else, then it's going to... It, will, it eliminates the original pro problem of the Ashdodites being wasted, but it doesn't necessarily save what God is doing. So verse 9, But after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of the God of, of God to Ekron another Philistine city. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. And they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. And the hand of the God of God was very heavy there. And the men who died, who sorry, did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So this is very interesting, this whole idea of God's judgment being on the Philistines for their pride, for thinking they conquered him, for, quote-unquote, keeping him captive in his foreign land, and they're realizing that God is doing this. And so they start initially just by trying to move the ark around from the people who are currently afflicted, which, side note, often political solutions to things are just whatever seems quickest right now. So these aren't, they're not thinking long term. But when the ark is brought to Ekron, the Ekronites don't even want to receive it. Okay, they know this is a death sentence to receive this ark. And so they don't even want it in there. And they start saying, send it back, send it back, which is really crazy. So God, without saying anything, just by his actions, is beginning to compel this people who um, thought that they had conquered the God of Israel, now that they're thinking, we need to send him home. 
they're beginning to really respect God's presence. Um, verse 1 of chapter 6. The Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. So this is lasting a long time. And the Philistines called for the priests and diviners and said, What shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. And they said, If you send away the Ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. And then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? And they answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. For he will lighten his hand from off of you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he dealt severely with them and did not send the people away and they departed. Okay, so we'll stop there. This is amazing. So is, the Philistines now are brought to a place of wanting to humble themselves. And if you remember before, when this whole thing started with the fighting and Israel initially lost their battle with the Philistines before they brought the ark, I'd said, why didn't the Philistines humble themselves? Why didn't they bring a guilt offering? It said that they got together and they conferred and they said, let's bring the ark. This must save us. And so here we have again, the way, same way that the Israelite elders were conferring about what to do when they lost a battle. Now the lords of the Philistines are conferring what to do with the ark of God, afflicting them. And they go to their diviners, their priests, and their priests give them great counsel. Now remember what happened before. They went to the the priests and the Levites, and the priests were Hophni and Phinehas, these unbelieving guys who were in service of the temple. And so Hophni and Phinehas did not spare the people from devastation by teaching them the true way of God. But these Philistine diviners and priests are actually giving wise counsel. They said, you need to humble yourself. You need to give a guilt, guilt offering. And I think a key verse here is it says um, that you need to give glory to the God of Israel. That's right in the middle of verse 5. Give glory to the God of Israel. So they're humbling themselves and they're going to give glory to God. Remember before with uh, Hophni and Phinehas were eating God's fat. They were eating the glory of God. That fat was meant to be the part that honored and glorified God. And remember when the Ark of the Covenant left, the daughter of um, one of Eli's sons said the glory of Israel has departed. So this is like a glory issue. This is an honor issue. And the Philistines are being told by their pagan diviners to give honor to God. And so they said, why don't you make these images that represent the things that are afflicting you, tumors and mice, probably bringing a plague. Yep, that's what it says, bringing a plague. So you've got plagues, you've got tumors, you need to honor God and send this away, not just trying to get rid of him, like, like, some thief in the night, you're sending him away, but like actually honor him as a God who is crushing you and ask him to leave politely. But this is the issue. They've come to a place of real humility that Israel did not come to, which is super ironic. And I like in verse six, how it talks about the hardening of the hearts there. So don't harden your hearts like the Egyptian and Pharaoh. Um, it's just, that's really great. And it's, it just reminds you that the Philistines even knew Israelites the Israelites' history better than Israel did. Israel should have known from their history that if they were in a good place with God and in faith and humble, they should be winning their battles. And the fact that they lost their battles was a sign that they were not in a good place with God. And so here the Philistine diviners know the Bible better than God's people. And so they're going to honor God and it's going to go well with them for the, how they do honor him. 
They say, now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart and take the calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which are you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that has struck us. It's happened to us by coincidence. So fascinating. What's happening here is they're working against nature. So to take away milking cows from their calves, a, a mother would never leave her young on her own, but they're setting this thing up where they've got milking cows and the calves penned up, and they're saying, if the cows do wander all by themselves back to Israel, you know that God is in control here, because they're going against nature. But if they don't go up, then you know this is all just a coincidence, which is really interesting. So they do leave a little bit of room for their own misunderstanding of what's going on, which again is kind of humble. But the big thing is we're going to let God be in control. We're going to put the figures in the cart saying, we're sorry for what we did to you. This is, here's our guilt offering. And we're going to let you lead your own ark home by working against nature, by having these cows take you home. Verse 10, the men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut them up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord in the box, in the cart, sorry, in the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway lowing as they went so they're kind of protesting being compelled to do this we don't want to go we don't want to go we want to go nurse our calves but they're being compelled by the Lord to go to Beth Shemesh they turned neither to the right or to the left and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley so okay this story now is changing perspectives it was all from the perspective of the Philistines, and now we're going to shift back to the perspective of Israelites by going to Beth Shemesh, and you can almost see like the camera view is changing. First it was the Philistines following the ark up the road, and now the camera is looking at the Israelites doing their wheat harvest, and they see the ark coming down the road. And they lift up their eyes, and they saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. And the ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. Side note, Beth Shemesh means house of the sun. Shemesh means son in Hebrew. And a great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Great, so far. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which the gold figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the Lord, five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. Okay, so now the ark is being received back into Israel with rejoicing, with offerings, all good. And the Philistine lords see that this is happening and they realize what's happened. Okay, it was the Lord. We can go back with some expectation that he's going to have mercy on us now. And then you get a bit of like a victory dance here. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Eshkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So the list of the treasures is a bit of a victory dance that they, they've, they've accounted for it. 
And also in this verse, in verse 18, they talk about the to this day line. Um, there was one earlier today, meant, or earlier in this portion, talking about people not stepping in a certain place in Dagon's temple. The author of these books, the prophetic author, author is concerned to give historical evidence that what they're saying is true. So some people might say, oh, these are fairy tales. As often as is possible, the author of these stories will point to landmarks and customs that back up the story that they're telling. And so they will, can say, hey, that big stone that's in Joshua of Beth Shemesh's field, that's the stone where all this happened. And so it's a proof that the author is intending to be telling history, even though it's a divine history that gives us God's motives and intentions in ways that a regular historian can't know and doesn't know. It is a divine history that looks to physical events and physical things as proof that what they're saying is true. Then he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh. Okay, so here's a twist. You aren't expecting this. Struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. And he struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord has struck the people with a great blow. And then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, to whom shall he go up away from us. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim, this is 7-1, came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from the day that the ark was lodged in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So this is a bit of a mysterious thing. Why did God strike them? Um, in Hebrew, it's possible that um, either the men looked upon the ark of the Lord and were struck. It's also possible that they looked in the ark of the Lord, maybe opened up the box to see what was in there and were struck for touching the ark. It's a little bit unclear. But um, either way, God is letting his people know things are not fixed yet. Things are not better. Just because the ark is back doesn't mean that a relationship has been restored. And you can kind of see how they respond, that the Bible's trying to tell us that the Israelites are still more like the Philistines than not. Because when these men die, instead of, again, having their own time of mourning, their own guilt offerings to the Lord, a time of humbling themselves so that they can get grace... They just do what the Philistines initially did. And they said, we need to move this thing. And they said, who's going to take care of this thing for us? And they try to move the ark just like the Philistines did in the early days. So even the Philistines ended up farther ahead than the Israelites are at this point. Because they're not just trying to move the ark like somehow that box is the problem and geography is the problem. And they're, they're maintaining their hard hearts. Anyhow, so they move the ark to a certain Eliezer's house. Um sorry, uh, Abinadab, and one thing they do do is they consecrate Eliezer to be in charge of the Ark of the Lord. So this is what maybe didn't happen before, where the men were just looking upon the Ark without making themselves holy, but Abinadab has made his son holy so that the Ark can lodge there without wreaking devastation. Okay, so that's the end of that section. We really learn God is the God over all things everywhere. He is all-powerful. He doesn't actually need our help, but he does care about humility and pride. He does care about faith and unbelief. And even the Philistines, when they had faith in God, when they honored his story with the Egyptians, when they humbled themselves with the guilt offering, God lifted off his hand of punishment from the Philistines. And too bad they didn't come all the way in and turn to the Lord and make him their God. That would have been best. 
but even sadly they were ahead of the Israelites at this point. All right, be blessed. That's two whole chapters and change. We are cruising through this book. Come back next time for more of 1 Samuel.